Hello there, welcome to the International Business Podcast. I'm your host, Leonardo Marra, but let's make it simple and just call me Leo. In this podcast, I share my experiences and interview international professionals to draw lessons from their real-life stories. Coming up on today's episode. We say in management consulting that for performing, you need something called storming. So you have an ideal level of conflict, not too little, because then there is no competition of ideas, but not too much, which would undermine cooperation in the team. Another project that I'm working on just now is an Italian industrial company where I work with the Chinese, the Russian, and the management team in, uh, let me see, another five Asian countries in addition to the headquarters in Italy. Gabor is an intercultural leadership coach, consultant, speaker, and author specialized in East-West leadership. He supports corporate executives and public sector leaders in succeeding across national and cultural boundaries instead of getting lost in translation. We'll talk about the importance of possessing global people skills to succeed in this globalized world. You can find more information about Gabor, including links to his LinkedIn and company pages, in the show notes. Hope you enjoy the talk. Hi, Gabor. I'm glad to have you on. Welcome to the show. How's it going? Hi, Leonardo. Thank you very much for having me. It is going. I mean, I, I'm usually based in Shanghai. Now I'm in Budapest, away from my family. But otherwise, thank God for the internet. We can keep in touch with clients. We can keep in touch with family. And everything else is going smoothly. I hope you'll manage to come back to China as soon as possible. I'm, I'm reading positive news about the, the flight, so I'm hoping that by summer you'll be back here, Gabor. Yes, it looks like something is moving indeed. And talking about moving and moving around, uh, traveling, international business, I do have a straightforward question for you. Mm-hmm. Why would you define yourself as an international professional, Gabor? Yes, I think... The best way to answer that question is if you looked at my calendar this week, and then you would see what kind of projects I'm working on. So one of them is an American food and beverage firm, and I am training the internal trainers for this American company in five Asian countries. So all you cover quite a bit of geographic area there. Or another project that I'm working on just now is an Italian industrial company where I work with the Chinese, the Russian, and the management team in, uh, let me see, another five Asian countries, in addition to the headquarters in Italy. So normally I would fly around and I would visit these teams, but obviously in the last couple of months, I kept in touch with them on the internet. But I think this is the main reason, not to mention that I'm Hungarian. I started a company in China. I started the company in the Philippines. So if you put this all together, I think it's a pretty international life. Yes, indeed, Gabor, really, I would say global. And when I read, I was looking at your LinkedIn profile, and there is a sentence that got my attention. You wrote that you've been an expat since the age of four. What do you mean? What I meant there is that at the age of four, we moved from my native Budapest to Baghdad, Iraq where my father became an engineer for a company that was later acquired by General Electric. So that was the first time when I actually lived an expatriate life. And I spent some of my childhood in the Middle East, which was a fantastic time. Wow. Yes, definitely a real expat. And that's where I think much of my interest 
in how people work together and how people interact with each other based on different culture comes from. So that's, you know, being very young, you don't uh, experience the culture shock as an adult does, but you just simply rewire your brain according to a completely different environment. And I think that's what originally started me in this direction. And the conversation I would like to have with you, Gabor, today is about the skills that global business people need to have. Right. Me personally, when um, I was in um, last year of university and there was a book that defined my interest into international, for international business. And that was the, the World is Flat from Thomas Friedman. Have you read that one? I did, yes. And that for me was eye-opening and it made me realize how much we are connected. And what I would like to discuss with you is, you know, the, the skills that global people need to have. But before that, what is cultural awareness? Because we need to know what it is, we need to be aware of it, and how can we develop it? Yes. So why is the world flat? To go back to your original question is because so many things that we use every day are becoming uniform or at least standardized. So for example, let's imagine that we are young and we had a crazy party and we wake up at an airport from a, from a nap. It would be very hard to tell where you are in the world because airports all over the world look exactly the same. If you go wherever in the world, fast food restaurants and uh, shopping centers and so on, they look increasingly similar. This, is, this was not the situation even 50 years ago. The world looked very different depending on where you were. So this is why we feel that the world is flat. But we also have to know that the people who have access to this flat world is the minority of the world. Of course, you need a certain amount of money. Yes, I agree. Which knowledge to be able to globally mobile. So this is why um, uh, The Economist magazine published a, a research last year which said that about 10% of the world's population would like to move to another country during their lifetime. So even, even if we look at those people who wish to be global, uh, it's a, it is a minority of the world. For most people, abroad, living abroad, working abroad is something that they see on television. So this is why uh, a cultural awareness or a global mindset starts with the very awareness that if I do, if I work in another country, if I move to another, let's say, city, even in a large country, then there is going to be a certain amount of culture shock. It's not going to be uh, so easy to adopt, even if I worked for a very long time to be able to, to be there. Now, if I can elaborate a little bit more, if you bring that to the world of business, People usually move to another country and become expats. And this is, this is usually expat managers is my market because they were successful and they managed to get things done. And when they are moved to another country and let's say uh, so far they have been working in, in Paris or in Boston and they are moved to Tokyo or Manila, it's not going to be easy. So they are not going to get results as easily as they did before their promotion. This is what I call the expat baby. You have to learn to speak again. You have to learn to walk again. You have to learn social skills again. And many people don't take it that well or don't even expect it to happen to them. If we want to do it, this, this is, this is a cultural awareness 101, so to speak. Then if people take that challenge well, then they have to realize that 
let's say when a European professional moves to Japan, the question is not how to do business with the Japanese. If they are promoted as a CEO in Russia, the question is not how to do business with Russians, because as soon as you leave your home culture, you start interacting with many cultures, not just one. So if you, if you represent, let's say, a French company in Tokyo, then your team is not going to be just Japanese people and your clients and your suppliers are going to come from all over the place. So you have to develop a multicultural mindset. And then finally, especially in business, people sometimes think that, all right, there is culture and then there is culture shock. But what I do because I'm an engineer or because I'm a lawyer or because we sell cars is really not cultural. It doesn't have to do anything with culture. But as I work with these professionals, as I coach executives, as I train their teams, we find out that culture is in everything. Culture is in the financial system of that country, is the legal system of that country. Engineering and IT even depend on culture to a certain extent. You know, the artificial intelligence that they write for self-driving cars in Japan or China, they think differently, so to speak, than the artificial intelligence that they write in the United States or in the UK. So different, even AI has a different passport. Yes, yes, yes. Engineering, design, all of those things, they all depend on culture to a certain extent. I definitely agree with what you said about the fact that when you move to another country uh, as an expat, you're not actually, in my case, I moved to China, Shanghai, and I'm not doing business with the Chinese. I work for a Chinese company. I'm the only foreigner in the company, but every day I engage with Europeans, Americans, Africans, and Australians. So I need to deal with my uh, colleagues that, of course, are all Chinese, but then from eight in the morning to seven or even more because of the time zones, I'm dealing with people from all different countries. So <laughs> absolutely, you're right. Exactly. Well, and this is the reason why you are there. So if the world wanted you to work like a Chinese person, if they wanted you to adopt, then they would just hire a Chinese person. But that's not your job in that country. Uh, even if you are surrounded by Chinese people and you are the only foreigner, you are supposed to create a kind of personal link between those Chinese people and the international market. I would like to move on to diversity. And in your nearly 20 years of experience, Gabor, with the international leadership assignments, coaching and consulting at global firms, you must have seen many, many, many things. What I would like you to, to tell us is name three common mistakes managers fall into when managing organizations with, let's say, a high level of diversity. So you have to imagine the scenario, almost like a movie when I work with a, um, a manager or an executive. So usually what happens is that somebody became quite successful, they got a promotion, and now they are either moving to another function or moving into another location. And that is always a transition, not just career transition, not just professional, but also psychological transition. The number one mistake, and this is just the application of what I already mentioned on the cultural awareness, is that this manager or even an entrepreneur or an academic, I don't know, government official, they just assume that they can take the position in the new place or in the new city or in the new country, log in and start working. Because they also have the experience and they have the knowledge, the social network, uh, they know whom to call and so on. But what they have to know is that if I change the environment around you, 
then suddenly you are going to slow down. You are going to become more inefficient because now you don't know the legal system. Now you don't know how, whom to call. Now you don't know how people will react if you delegate work to them in a certain way. So this, this would be error number one. Error number two is when people uh, work in a diverse environment, let's say an American uh, manager moves to Singapore, or when you worked for a Wall Street firm, but now you are going to work for a, a consulting firm or a healthcare firm, which has a different culture, then people assume that you can learn a culture the way you can learn a language or you can learn a computer system. Absolutely not true. And basically, they are trying to figure out the rules. They are, they are sitting down and says, all right, I, I can do this. I can, I can work like a Singaporean. I can uh, work like a healthcare worker. All I have to do is figure out the rules, copy it with my behavior, and then I will get a positive response to that, which usually they very soon find out that is not the case. And then the third one is um, what I already mentioned, but I would like to repeat it under fallacies is that there are non-cultural things in a professional environment. Like engineering is non-cultural or the way we deal with the money of the firm has nothing to do with culture. But this is almost never true. Like for example, flexibility in terms of money is extremely cultural. Flexibility in terms of time is very cultural. And no matter how much people try to copy the behavior of another culture, especially under pressure, your true nature or your old habits will come back and create conflict. I completely agree. I mean, it is important to study and analyze what the other culture is doing, but it's not a copy and paste. Definitely not a copy and paste. I mean, I'm Italian, but I have been living outside of Italy for almost 10 years now, but there's still so much that, uh, that I feel I need to learn, but I, I really enjoy the process. And I think it's, it's about being aware that there are so many different cultures and actually Every, within a culture, there are so many sub-branches. So it is really, diff- it's not a black and white situation. So right. I think flexibility is the most important, might be the most important skill that an international business person must have because otherwise there's no way we can do business or even, have it, or even uh, having a happy life. Right. Now, I would separate these two things. One of them is flexibility and the other one is business. So this is how it's different. Let's say if you go to China to retire, and if you go to China to do business, if you go to China to retire, your main objective is just to reduce conflict with your cultural environment. But if you do business there, then you have an objective to achieve. And reducing com- uh, conflict with your environment is just one way to achieve that goal. The easiest way to understand this is to flip it around. Just imagine that in your home country, Italy, somebody hires a, I don't know, a Vietnamese professional. Now, the Italian company would not expect that Vietnamese engineer or a Vietnamese uh, bookkeeper or Vietnamese uh, pilot or whatever it is to behave like an Italian person. The reason for them to hire somebody from a different cultural background is exactly because they don't want that person to behave exactly like an Italian. It would be impossible for him anyway right? or her, but that is not the goal anyway. And this is what we have to understand in business. If in China or Japan or the United States or Russia, the goal would be to hire somebody or promote somebody who behaves, who assimilates to the local culture, then they would just hire somebody local and problem solved. I would like to dig into the diversity, diversity a little bit more. Why is it the immune system of management teams? 
actually, it's a very good follow-up question to, to what you just asked me about and, and the differences between cultural adaptation as such, let's say if you just want to spend one year in a country or you want to retire there, and cultural adaptation for the purposes of business. Very often, companies, when they adopt a diversity policy, they assume it is something separate from performance. They want to become more diverse because they want to be nice people or they want to impress investors or they want to be a good example for the media or for some similar reason. But that is not what diversity is all about. The main reason that if you approach diversity that way, then the board of directors or the HR department is going to start asking questions like, how could we hire uh, more people from an ethnic minority? How could we hire more women? But that is not connected to the performance of the company. Why diversity is the immune system of successful management teams is because without diversity, in a management team, people will agree with each other. They will have fantastic report. They are almost like a family, but they will be consistently imbalanced in their views. It's a little bit like a management team where everybody is a, um, let's say, um, financial controller. That team would not take enough risk, as opposed to another management team where everybody is a salesperson and they would take too much risk. Diversity in a team, especially in a management team that makes decisions over other people's lives, in those teams, safety and creativity competition and cooperation, they need to balance each other out even at the expense of some conflict within the team in order to the decision, for the decisions to be excellent. We say in management consulting that for performing, you need something called storming. So you have an ideal level of conflict, not too little because then there is no competition of ideas, but not too much, which would undermine cooperation in the team. I watch your TEDx speech, Gabor, and there's one Chinese proverb that you mentioned in that speech that I really found interesting, and that was to climb a tree in search of fish. So our personality is a critical factor that influences our career. I mean, it influences everything. But why is it so important for our career development? That proverb reminds us that when we struggle in our career or even in our private life, the struggle is actually with ourselves, not with other people. So when I coach managers in these situations and they say that there is uh, something that annoys them in the feedback, in the reactions that they get from the environment, I basically ask them to dig a little bit deeper and see how they created that situation themselves. Because, you know, we, we cannot change other people's behavior. It's very easy to say, my boss should do this, my, uh, my team should be a little bit faster or a little bit more loyal to the company. I'm not going to change that. I'm just going to put the responsibility on other people. The only behavior I can directly change is my own behavior. So take the example of a manager who is, who is dominant. In corporations, they very often promote people who can make tough decisions fast, assertively. They are a role model to others. But eventually they get to a point where their management style is so top-down that they make all the decisions and the team becomes reactive. The team only goes ahead if the boss says they would go ahead. And then the manager starts complaining. Why, why don't these people take the initiative? But actually through a dominant management style, the manager trained the team 
to be reactive and only move when they are told to move. And usually what happens there is that all the tasks, they pile up on the manager's end. He's terribly busy. He doesn't delegate enough because he doesn't trust the team to do a perfect job. And on the other end, the team is not so busy, only moves when the manager tells them to move and don't take so much responsibility for the results. So in this case, I look at how that manager climbed the tree with a lot of effort to make all the decisions, to have all the responsibility, to have all the control, to have all the resources. And then I tell them, all right, this is what you have been work working for for a long time. Now you're there. Now the decision is yours. Now the resources are yours. Did you really want this? No. Because if you didn't, you can climb down from the tree again. <laughs> now I get this. <laughs> now I get the tree and the fish. You know, and, and, and there are lots of people, lots of people, uh, it doesn't matter what your life goal is, or at least what you think your life goal is when you start this process at any age. Some people want to get rich, then they are rich. And then for some reason, they don't have the opportunity to enjoy the money that they made. Some other people, they want a large family. Then they have a large family, then they are, they are not happy with it. Or they want to become CEO, or they want to start their own firms. And when you get what you have been working for, for a year or a decade, and you are not happy with it, then you basically climb the tree in search of fish. You, 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 you went down the road looking for something that is not there at the end of that road. But then again, you cannot blame the environment for it. And the coaching in these cases is um, looking back, how did you end up here? What kind of decisions you made and what you wanted, what you hoped for at the beginning and what comes next so that you um, get that fish after all. I mean, the good thing about being on top of the tree is there is no fish there, but actually you can at least see where the fish is <laughs> from that high tree. Or instead of being up the tree, you can just go down the river and get the fish. I guess one of the two, the, both work, right? Or, or shout down to somebody, you know, that you want fish. There are, there are many, many ways to get what you want. <laughs> and if you work together with others. And Gabor, what is a psychometric assessment and why could it be successful when combining personality traits with intercultural profiling? Right. So um, psychometric assessments are actually um, a kind of, I don't like to call it test, but, but imagine it's a survey. It's a little bit like... Um, it sounds softer if you say survey compared to test, right? Well, test, test would, would mean that they are testing your knowledge. And here is, this is not about your knowledge. This is about the preferences that you have. Okay. So it's a little bit like if you, if you sign up for a dating app and they ask you all of these questions like, do you like dressing formal or informal? Um, if you have a task to finish, do you start right away or wait until the deadline almost approaches and so on? And then using fairly sophisticated questions, we come up with a profile that can, that can predict what kind of decisions people make in a certain situation. Now, why this is very important, because otherwise any kind of training or coaching in intercultural adaptation, in leadership, in teamwork is not personalized to the specific user. So if you look at, imagine that you read a book or watch a YouTube video about how to lead an intercultural team. Very often that book or that film would tell you people like, keep an open mind and be flexible. But you know, the maker of the film doesn't know how flexible you are at the moment. 
it could happen that you are an extremely flexible person. And if I advise you to be even more flexible, then you become too flexible and become unreliable. And you are, you are creating a risk for the team. Or the video could tell you, be more assertive, show self-confidence. But I don't know, maybe, maybe you are a fairly self-confident person on the verge of sometimes looking a little bit arrogant to some other people. And then if that film or that book advises you to be more assertive, then it pushes you over the edge. So this is why we base all of our programs on the psychometric assessment, because then we can calibrate the content to the people in the team. I've got one final question, Gabor, that I ask everyone who comes on the show. Tell us about one memorable moment from your international career and you can pick between a successful, a funny or a catastrophic episode. Your pick. Why not both? You know, I, I really like stories that start like a disaster but eventually become successful. When I get the link to this podcast, I would actually like to share it with the person in this story. But of course... I am not going to tell you who the person is, but this is a CEO of a European company in an Asian country. The company itself contacted me and um, we started the coaching. And at the very beginning, the first couple of uh, times when the, the coaching happens, and this was an intercultural leadership coaching for a newly assigned CEO. So it's a fairly high profile and high pressure work. And I asked the CEO, could you please tell me what is it that you want to work on? What are the key issues for our coaching? We are going to work together for a year or so. And then this person looked at me and said, Gabor, I think they made me CEO by mistake. <laughs> I, I, think, I think they have the wrong idea about me. I mean, I'm not prepared for this. I'm, I'm terrified. I don't have the skills. I don't have the experience. So he was honest, he or she, I don't know, but that this person was really honest. Yeah, that, that is one of the points. That, that's why I'm so cryptic because I, I want to, I want to uh, protect confidentiality as much as I can. But of course, you would be surprised presidents, vice presidents, CEOs, CFOs, people who have started companies, then built them up until they are worth several tens of millions of dollars or even more. Inside, you would be surprised under layers and layers of experience and self-confidence and power to find this soft core of a human being full of the kind of doubts and, and questions that any young people would have when they are preparing for a job interview. The only difference is that these people have to make much heavier decisions and they are much heavier punished when they make a mistake. Working together with that person for about a year and then um, being in touch even after we worked together and being informed of a couple of very important career steps that happened since then is a fantastic and very rewarding experience. So this is, this is when uh, something that fits my nature very well happens. Generally, my business philosophy is to be very personable You know, I work for large corporations, but I don't want to be corporate. I, I want to work together with people on a very honest level. And then some of my business relations cross this magical borderline between business and friendship. And that is extremely rewarding and see how people I work with do later on. I would like to wrap this up, Gabor, by asking you to tell us a little bit more about the services that your company provides 
and who should connect with you? Well, first of all, the, the universe of work is extremely diverse and uh, a lot of people contact me for personal advice and I'm very happy to give personal advice to anybody who contacts me. And it's uh, by my full name, it's fairly easy to find me online because there are many Holsches and there are many Gabors, but there is only one Gabor Holsch. But if I want to engage with somebody professionally, then the first uh, criterion is that your business must involve human contact, preferably with several people. So if, if somebody is an, is an excellent mechanic or uh, a code writer who mostly works alone, there is not an awful lot that I can help them with because my business is human contact. And then the more intercultural, the more diverse your business is, the easier I can help you. And culture doesn't just mean international, although I am specialized in East-West relations. And since I'm European, usually I work with European organizations, multinational companies, embassies, international organizations, universities, who do business in East Asia predominantly. But I also work with an American company in, in, in the Middle East and so on. And it's easier for me to work with somebody if there is at least a team of um, a dozen people or up. My classical project is with a large multinational company that has a presence in several continents and therefore has the diversity of ethnicity, nationality, age, gender, religious background, and so on that makes business difficult, but also makes business fascinating. And the way I work with them is first, I do some fact-finding. I do the, um, the aforementioned psychometric assessment with the team members, with the managers. Sometimes we even create something like an organizational mapping, see what the company does well and, and where the gaps are. And then we go on, advise companies to build a new system, how to hire people, how to promote people, how to train people. We coach individuals and groups. We train people or we even train internal people to deliver their own training. And then we usually work with a company anywhere between six months or several years, and we combine these activities into larger programs. I want to thank you for your insight. Thank you for joining us on the International Business Podcast. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Subscribe today to listen to more international business stories, guests coming on the show every Monday. Do not forget to connect with me on LinkedIn. You can find the link in the show notes. I'll speak with you again on the next episode.